Things are getting busy in Victoria today. Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun joins us now to talk about that. Good morning, Vaughn. Hey, good morning, Simi. They're back. They're back. You know, Summer's they over. They went away in the spring and they're back and they're different. Because for the first time in many, many, many years, we have two, four official parties in the legislature, three of them in opposition, and they're having a little turf war over who gets to ask all the questions when the House sits this morning, 1030. So we're starting today to see how this is going to play out. Okay, so what are we kind of anticipating? And there's a new party to deal with. Yeah, so the Conservatives are now recognized as an official party, and as an official party, they have as much of a claim to be able to ask questions in question period as the Greens and BC United. They're smaller, same size as the Greens, so the official opposition is still BC United. They get most of the questions, but the Conservatives get to ask a question and a follow-up, as do the Greens. That cuts into the available time for question period, and uh, the parties actually had a little bit of a get-together, their House leaders, and, oh, well, let's see how this works. Apparently, Simi, they've agreed that question period is a bit of a zoo, big surprise, and that maybe there would be more time for questions if the parties actually disciplined themselves and behaved themselves. So our colleague, Rob Shaw, reporting today, the party, I, I, I can only tell, know what I read in the paper, in this case, business in Vancouver. Uh, apparently the parties have agreed, Simi, to 45 second long questions and 45 second long answers. Really? And the speaker, the speaker's going to monitor it and let us know at the end of the week how it's going. Now, you know, I can be awfully skeptical about things, and I have learned to be over the years, but let's just say that if they can make this work, question period will be more effective, and it may well mean that they're making better use of it than they have been for some time. Okay, but this is going to be quite a change, though, yes. right? Because you can't ask the same question over and over again. You can't have your long preambles. Can they actually do this? Well, I mean, on a good day, question period can be a very effective way to bring the government's failings to light, to at least embarrass the government into explaining itself and giving some answers, and showing that the purpose of the opposition is to hold the government account. That's on a good day. On a bad day, it's an exercise in shouting and pointing and partisan invective, and the opposition asks the same question again and again, worded slightly differently, and gets nowhere. And the government simply tries to run out the clock with answers that are either beside the point or full of, yeah, well, you guys were even worse in government. So it, it, it can be an embarrassment. I, I think any teacher who's ever taken a class of students into the house to watch question period has afterwards said, now, don't you try that kind of stuff in the classroom. You're not going to get away with that in my classroom. <laughs> right. um, but as I said, on a good day, I mean, that the great one of the great things about the Westminster system of government is that question period is there to hold the government account. So I, I think that what they've agreed to do, if they do it, will make for a, question, a better question period. Shorter questions, no long preambles. A little less desk thumping and heckling. Well, we'll see if they make that work. 
And the government's answers being to the point. I mean, the experience we've had, and it's been getting worse, has been the government members don't even address the essence of the question, never mind answer it. So I wish them all luck. I hope they can make it work. And if they can, uh, you know, you've got three parties holding the government to account and a government at least agreeing in principle that uh, it is it could be answer period as well as question period. Okay, and one of the other things we're going to be looking for here in question period is the arrival of this new party, the uh, BC Conservatives on this. So John Rustad, a little bit of a rough, I would say, last couple yes. of days because of his posting where people were drawing the comparison between what he was saying and, and Indigenous children being taken from their homes. Yeah, I mean, look... Uh, Rustan had some good qualities and a lot of experience in the political arena, and he was kicked out of the BC Liberals when they still were calling themselves that, so he can't be faulted for having gone out to start his own party. He wasn't welcome in the opposition anymore. So you got all that, but he's got enough experience in the political arena to know damn well what he was doing when he made that posting. So... Global's got a good story on this. It's on the website. It's also on social media, on Rustad's feed. But here's what Rustad essentially says, and this is on Saturday, the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. He says, today we remember what happens when the Canadian government thinks it's better at raising children than parents. I will always stand with parents. Now, he says, that wasn't intended to make any kind of a link to the controversy over the new, well, it's not that new, but the resource package for the schools based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Come on. He knows damn well. Well, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. yeah. Exactly what it was. And that's how it's been interpreted. He's standing by his posting. And the government, of course, privately, New Democrats, Simi, they welcome the arrival of the Conservatives. It makes it more likely that the opposition will be split among two parties, the center-right. That seems to be where it's headed. But on this one, even the New Democrats were moved to condemn what Rustad did. Uh, government House Leader Ravi Kalon uh, condemned it. Uh, the new uh, MLA for uh, John Horgan's writing condemned it. BC United, Eleanor Sturko condemned it. And had quite a and, bit of a back and yeah. forth between Bruce Bandman and Eleanor Sturko, yeah. You're right. I mean, we saw there the kind of split that's emerging. Sturko denounced it, said, you know, it's clear where this is headed. It's uh, discounting rights for uh, LBGTQ plus uh, students. And... Uh, he, she said that, and immediately the newest conservative in the House, Bandman, comes back and says, ah, oh, this is just more woke nonsense. I, again, if that's the way the new conservative presence in the House is going to go, which is dividing the House on issues of uh, human rights, gay rights, um, something like SOGI, which was actually introduced in the schools by the, the BC Liberals, when John Rustad was one of their MLAs, yeah. um, it's going to get pretty ugly this fall. And that would be the dark side of the presence of the Conservatives in the House. We're talking to Vaughn Palmer here from the Vancouver Sun. Fall legislative session gets underway in Victoria today. So Vaughn, let's talk about the agenda side of things. What do you expect that we are going to hear about? 
Well, the government has already made it clear that the biggest topic they will be tackling with more legislation is housing. Uh, Housing minister, also the deputy house leader, and he says that uh, the time for talking on housing is gone and the legislation is coming. So we're going to see um, secondary suites legalized. We're going to see a freer hand for local government in cracking down on vacation rentals and Airbnb, legislation allowing that, maybe bigger fines. They're only about $1,000 now. And they're also going to be stepping in again to this issue of how much leeway do municipalities get in future uh, to hold up approval of needed housing. So uh, you've had the missing middle uh, policy here in Victoria, for example, got held up. Victoria Council tried to say through uh, a motion or through bylaw changes that henceforth you could develop uh, duplexes, triplexes, multi-unit developments on in single-family neighborhoods. It's a big change here in Victoria, but very little happened. There were very few proposals come forward because, Simi, the city council planning department put so many conditions on it, the developers looked at it and went, now nah, we can't make that work. So the city, the, the province says it's going to bring in legislation to limit how much municipalities can hold up, uh, limit their ability or, or give them the power to skip public hearings and expedite approval. So that's the housing theme, but there are other things happening. Um, one of the bills that I think will get a lot of attention is the provincial government, Simi, has pretty much admitted that local government was right when local government last spring began protesting open drug use in playgrounds, schoolyards, uh, sorry, uh, playgrounds, recreational spaces. Initially, the New Democrats, uh, they didn't think that was a great idea. They kind of discounted the threat. Uh, They're going to bring in legislation this fall to essentially outlaw open drug taking in Uh, playgrounds, uh, recreational spaces, and other public spaces in municipalities. Right. So those, do you think, will be the big things that they are going to be dealing with? And when the the housing situation, there's a lot of pieces of legislation they keep talking about. Yeah, they are. There is a lot of legislation on this. David Eby has been, since he became housing minister at the end of 2020, uh, when Selena Robinson, who'd been the housing minister, was made finance minister by John Horgan, EB very quickly began talking a very different line on housing. He said the number one problem out there was the housing supply, and he strongly suggested that municipal governments were the big obstacle to getting it done. He's added some nuances to that since then, but essentially the provincial government embarked on a path for the first time The province gave itself the power in legislation when EB became premier last year, the power in legislation, Simi, to overrule local government on housing. Um, They've said they will use that power sparingly, and I don't think because of the timetable we've given us, Simi, they will exercise that power before the next provincial election. They don't want to create any kind of an issue locally that would cost them a seat because some of the places like Oak Bay are represented in the legislature by the uh, New Democrats. But in the long run, they are essentially saying that if the municipalities won't take the incentives, provincial assistance for infrastructure, 
provincial, the province building affordable social housing in the riding and the community. Uh, if the municipalities won't take the incentives, the carrots, then down the road, a municipality that will not go along and approve housing that is needed, the province will use its power to step in and overrule, overrule the municipality. Okay, so lots to watch for. You're going to have a very interesting session. Yeah, I think we're going to have a very busy, very interesting session. And look, Simi, uh, if you uh, follow what the Premier says, the next provincial election is just a, a year and a little bit away, October the 19th, Saturday, 2024. Uh, this is going to be the preliminary match of that election, because one of the things you're going to see is how effective are the Conservatives, uh, how likely are they to split the centre-right vote, What's the response of BC United? And frankly, can they make question period more constructive? Uh, I'm a skeptic, but what the heck? Give it a try. We'll be watching it very much. The House sits for seven weeks with a couple of breaks. The last day of the sitting is November the 3rd. All right. Sounds good, Vaughn. Thank you. Bye-bye, Simmons.